Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 72 of Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for joining us, and welcome all you new listeners out there. My guest today is a tango teacher and DJ with international acclaim. He started his tango journey back in 2002 and has studied with a number of renowned teachers such as Gustavo Navera, Susanna Miller, Alex Krebs, and Robin Thomas. Based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, today's guest considers himself an eternal student and is always working to move his dancing forward. And with me now is Avik Basu. Avik, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. It's great to be talking to you. Great to be on. Right. Okay, Avik. So, can you tell us how you fell in love with tango? Well, uh, I didn't actually fall in love with it immediately like a lot of people do. I actually started because I was a student in a class, uh, mm-hmm. and one of my colleagues in the class, uh, we used to do homeworks together in a big group, actually, and she told all the people in the group about this new club starting at the University of Michigan uh, that was doing Argentine tango. She was, she was Argentine, and so she was really excited about it, and I was the only one from the group who actually went to the lesson, uh-huh. and the lesson, I was a student at the time, mm-hmm. and the lesson was, I think it was a f- six week, four or six week series. And on the first day, you have to pay. And so I paid for the whole series on the first day. I'm embarrassed to say how little it was because it was that amount of money that led me to continue. Because on the first day, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. But I wasn't, I didn't fall in love with it or anything. Okay. Uh, but, the, but the people were nice. And uh, I decided, well, I paid for it. So I'm going to do the whole series. Mm. And it was, I'll tell you the amount, it was $10. I mean, it was ridiculously cheap. (laughs) (laughs) It was a student group. Anyway, so then I took the first four. And by the end of the series, I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty interesting. And, um, you know, when I was in high school, I had a dream of being an orchestral conductor. Mm. And so I started to make a link between dancing tango and creative expression of music. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, there's a, there's a link there because both sort of use the body to convey mm. uh, what they hear in the music. And uh, so, I, you know, that's just like a little seed of an idea in my head back then. And uh, it sort of grew from there. Nice. And I, of course, I did end up loving it. And so that was in October of 2002 mm-hmm. that I took that first series. So okay. nice. obviously I stuck, stuck with it. Yeah, yeah. What was that first lesson like? It was in a tiny room. Mm-hmm. I remember the room pretty clearly. Of course, I remember the teachers. Mm-hmm. Yelena, who you had also messaged, right, right. Uh, was was actually my first teacher. Oh. And she was teaching along with uh, a guy named Duty Carsono, mm-hmm. who dances occasionally these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and several of the people in the class are still in the tango community here. Nice. Which is which is always you know interesting to see how things progress over the years, mm. but the content of the class I think it was it was mostly about embrace and walking from what I remember, mm-hmm. but to be honest I don't remember a lot of details I just remember <laughs> I do remember that the instructors were very warm and generous and friendly. So do you remember your very first uh, dance at a malanga? Same thing. Yeah, you're, you you need to ask someone with photographic memory. My memory for these kinds of things is terrible. Uh, I, I I don't have a moment like that. And I think the reason I don't is because my 
sort of love affair with tango has been a slow burn rather than like an instantaneous love at first sight thing so i don't remember okay. those things just because it wasn't so <laughs> dramatic for me okay. i mean there, there are some images that i remember i remember taking a little field trip uh, in ann arbor back in those days there weren't there were some milongas but there weren't that many mm-hmm. so as a sort of graduation from your series i think we had a little field trip where we went out to uh, utica Utica is a sort of a suburb of of Detroit, and uh, there's a dance studio there that had been teaching Argentine tango since like the 90s, Mm. and so it was it was where Argentine tango was was uh, established Mm. in southeastern Michigan, and so we went there because they had regular events and they had people who had been dancing for a while, and so I remember going to that and you know seeing all all these people there who. It was a mostly older crowd, okay. not like the younger crowd that sort of we were used to in Ann Arbor, but they were they were experienced and they were a community. They knew each other, and and it was kind of nice to see see that mm-hmm. that part of it. I, I think the of course the styles were quite different because what we were doing in Ann Arbor was much more about close embrace social dancing at the time, and and uh, I wouldn't say they weren't doing social dancing, but there was there was definitely uh, difference in language mm-hmm. in the way that that generation of folks danced mm-hmm. and the way we danced mm-hmm. but you know like all tango sort of mixes we we sort of made it work and it was it was enjoyable nice nice and motivating yeah. at the time for me yeah yeah absolutely so yeah like you said it was a it was a slow burn for you and but eventually at some point it it did get a hold of you you did get the bug eventually so do you, yeah. yeah so there was one moment that i i remember that kind of really captured me and that happened in uh, january of 2003 about two or three months after i started tango and a visiting instructor was in town we had a i think it might have been our first festival actually mm-hmm. and we invited uh, some american teachers who were specializing in sort of close embrace social dancing and one of them was tom sturmitz mm-hmm. out of denver and so he came and i was taking this class and he taught the sequence with a rock step connected to walking to the cross mm-hmm. pretty simple sequence mm-hmm. Uh, but for whatever reason, I remember it because he taught it very rhythmically. Mm. So he, you know, he combined sort of the quick, quicks and slows, and mm. and turned it into something that I could kind of do over and over. And I, it resonated with me because I was used to that kind of thing from playing violin mm. when I was growing up. Nice. And to so kind of to to repeat something until you really get it polished and it makes sense rhythmically and with respect to the, the physical movement of it. Mm-hmm. This was the first experience. I was like, oh, I'm actually creating that interpretation. Yeah. Um, even though the movement was given to me and the rhythm was given to me, it was still something that was uh, empowering, I guess. Yeah, so just kind of going along with that uh, about turning points in our learning. So do you, what are some really good or, or some memorable bits of advice that you've gotten from some of your own teachers that really helped change your dancing so you mentioned you know just starting to get a hold of the um the the rhythmic portion of it so later on what other what are some other turning points that you remember yeah well that that was certainly one of them i mean i've had so many teachers over the years and i'm you know i'm still learning tango even Mm -hmm. after 16 years and 
you know, I guess some of the more recent ones are the ones that sort of stay with me now, but the early ones were, a lot of it was just about teachers who were very generous. Mm-hmm. Like they, they show me, like I used to remember Robin Thomas used to yeah. come to Ann Arbor. And at the time, I remember we didn't do anything. This was probably, I don't know, a year or so into dancing or maybe more. And all, all I knew how to do was to walk. Mm. And, you know, of course, people learn things all sorts of things now really fast these days. But back then, that was pre-YouTube, pre, pre, yeah, just pre lots of movements that were accessible, at least to me in a beginner class. And so so anyway, he came to Ann Arbor and he used to to say, oh, what about this turn? What about this left turn? We should do this left turn. And he would just, (laughs) you know, show me how to do it. And he was just very generous. And like a lot of people, he was like that. And I remember another time, Alex Krebs also came down. Or we had all these American teachers who were coming through at the time, and that was really helpful to me because they were all very, they were very clear in their teaching compared to other folks. I, I would say because they had their own tango journey, and they were they were on the journey themselves, and they were sort of guiding me, who was just a little bit younger than them. To, to figure things out. But I, I do remember one moment, too, when Alex led me, and I'd never really followed at that point. But, you know, he's so great that he made me feel like, oh, this is what clarity is like, to feel really clear about what the leader wants. And so that was eye-opening, too. So a lot of the... It's, it's not what people said to me, although what people said certainly did, did sort of stay. Mm-hmm. But it's rather how they made me feel in mm. the dance, the feeling of leading, the feeling of following, and and also the visual feel. Like when I watched different teachers dance, I, I really absorbed a lot of that from them because I could see their interpretation. I could see their their subtleties. I could I could kind of absorb from that. Mm. Of course, their their sort of technical explanations were very helpful too. I don't discount that. But it was that combination of all those things that really made a difference to me in the beginning. Nice. So how did you start teaching? Can you describe that journey? Well, I started teaching almost immediately. Okay. And that was there's only one reason for that. It's that there was no one else. <laughs> there was just like there were hardly any I was not qualified, for sure not. But Yelena, my first teacher, asked me to teach just two months after I started. Wow. So I mean, I can say I've been, te- you know, I've been dancing tango for 16 years and I've been teaching tango for 16 years, which is r- ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? But that that's what happened. And so I actually learned a lot from teaching, actually, because it, the pressure's on, you know, and I've taught other things throughout my life. So in high school, I used to teach violin. Uh, I taught Bengali, which is my mother tongue, my parents' mother tongue, I should say. Nice. And then at the time... At that time, I was in grad school, I was teaching psychology, I had taught engineering before. So, you know, teaching was not not a new thing to me. Okay. Teaching tango was a new thing to me, especially not really knowing tango at that point. Mm-hmm. But again, it put me in a situation where I felt like I had to do my best to convey what I could to people in the class, just like it had been conveyed to me when I was in the class. Mm-hmm. And uh, because the material that we were covering was so basic, I mean, literally, like we were just walking and rock stepping, uh, because it was so basic, I found that to be manageable. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of sort of grew from there. So basically, Elena asking me was the opportunity that really 
propelled me into something that I never saw myself doing. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, was, I wasn't there to teach. I was really there just to kind of enjoy the dance and kind of uh, be expressive. But then, you know, the, there, there was, it was a good experience teaching. So obviously I continued and, and then one thing led to another and it yeah. became something much, much bigger than I expected. Yeah. Okay, here's something I want to ask you as a leader, which I forgot to ask a lot of other uh, previous interviewees, but it'd be great to hear your take on it. Are you consciously thinking of the next figure to lead, or do you just move very intuitively to the music? Yeah, well, th there's a process to that, of course. You know, early on in tango, like 10, 12, 15 years ago, yeah. it was very much an intellectual process like i thought okay i'm gonna work on this i'm gonna do this mm -hmm. and craft the movement that way mm -hmm. and as the years have gone by i found myself doing that less and less there are still moments of course like when i'm learning something i have to I have to think about it but mm -hmm. the language is much more available to me uh, just like when you communicate in a good conversation mm -hmm. it flows and so so does the dancing. Mm. Uh, I find now that I don't have to think a lot. I let the music sort of flow through me and I can calibrate to my partner and to the space around me mm. and be truly expressive. And when there are little glitches or things go wrong, then maybe I, that, that uh, flow gets upset and I have to think a little bit for a second. But then, you know, it's very easy to get back into that, that free flow mm. of dancing. Yeah, so can you tell us the story of how you became a DJ? Ah, DJ. So, so sort of same, same kind of thing. Within mm -hmm. a couple months of, of starting dancing, because there were no other people to DJ, mm -hmm. and because of my inherent interest in, in music, I sort of picked up the, some opportunities to, to play some music there. So I, mm -hmm. um, I did some local stuff in Ann Arbor, and uh, I remember... I think people used to use CDs back in those days. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. right. And uh, I was, at the time, finishing my engineering degree in life, and I was kind of a tech person. Mm -hmm. I've, I've since moved on to psychology. Mm -hmm. more a social science person now. But And so I, I think I was one of the early people, anyway, to, to stop, to not use CDs, but to rip all those CDs into MP3s and everything mm -hmm. and start using, you know, DJing from lists, which was very useful for me because... It, having everything in one place and being mm -hmm. able to organize it and sort lists and things like that helped yeah. me understand sort of the whole space of music that was available and how to play. Of course, my preferences for music back then are very different than they are now. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, of course, that happens to everyone. Yeah. But, but I do keep that in mind when I'm DJing, just to know that people in tango do kind of have a progression of of what they like in tango you know in the beginning it's a bit you know simpler it's easier to dance to and then you know as you dance more you want more complex music that mm -hmm. really inspires you and challenges you and things like that so beyond that then i i was lucky enough to get asked by um tom sturmitz again mm -hmm. to dj some of the denver festivals and and uh, also by clay to dj in portland and then you know it sort of sort of grew from there mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's been it's been an interesting journey also very very unexpected <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know that the topic of, of alternative tango music can be a point of contention amongst some dance, uh, some tango dancers. H how do you feel about it? 
Yeah, well, like philosophically, I don't have any issue with it. I mean, I think I think there there are people who like who say that this is the right music, like tango or traditional tango music is the right thing to dance tango to, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But when I think about my history, I've had a lot of excitement dancing to music that is not traditional, yeah. and that helped propel my my tango journey. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I have to say now most of the alternative kind of stuff that I hear or even old alternative stuff that I used to like, mm-hmm. I no longer am, am interested in it. it. It's easier to like alternative music in the beginning. Mm-hmm. For me anyway, okay, I can't generalize to everyone. Yeah. For me, it was easier to like that. And now I find that tango, traditional tangos have this permanence mm-hmm. over time. Like it didn't, it didn't get old. I've been listening to the same kind of stuff for a long, long mm-hmm. time and I still love it. You know, I don't, and and with the alternative stuff, it's way, it's much more hit or miss. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of things that I really love, but a lot of it has sort of grown old. And so, but again, like I say, philosophically, mm-hmm. it re- what really matters is what people like and what they want to listen to and what they want to express. I, I just what inspires me when I watch people dancing to that is that they are, you know, they're moved by the music. Mm-hmm. And that they're not just, and but that they're still dancing tango to it. Mm-hmm. I think that that's an important part because sometimes you you play stuff that's alternative, and then it doesn't look like tango to me anymore. It doesn't feel like tango to uh, me anymore. Okay. More importantly, I don't I don't care as much about the look, but it doesn't feel like tango to me. Mm-hmm. I can't explain why. Right. It just it just doesn't, and therefore it doesn't inspire me. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah. this, these are all just opinions. That sure. the reason it's controversial is because. Mm-hmm people generally have strong opinions about anything tango related and and i and the music stuff certainly is mm-hmm. falling in that category yeah there is one more piece about the djing stuff that oh. um for for my journey there mm-hmm. uh which was my first trip to buenos aires yeah. and going there and really hearing what kind of music they play there because i think that's when my djing at least in my mind became a bit more sophisticated mm. Whereas my DJing before my trip was more sort of simplistic. Okay. And I I came back feeling like there's real depth and variety in the Milongas in Buenos Aires at that time, which mm-hmm. is 2004, I think, uh, six or something mm-hmm. like that. And because I went to a whole wide range of Milongas, I used to go to some afternoon Milongas, which were mostly very like retired folks mm-hmm. who come and dance three in the afternoon and it would be kind of playful rhythmical kind of music but then you go to these evening mingalongas and it would be a lot of like police and troilo nice. and like deep sort of rich music that way and and the way that they sort of created an ambiance with the sort of the cortinas and the way people engage with one another mm-hmm. so seeing all that range definitely changed my DJing when I got back and I'd, I'd say for the better uh, because people seem to like it more when I got back. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of Buenos Aires, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening who are contemplating a trip out there for, for tango. So from your perspective, Abik, what are some do's and don'ts for first timers going to tango in, in Buenos Aires? Well, there are a few things I, I think that helped me. Uh, one is that I went for a good chunk of time. Mm. 
So I would have had a hard time had I gone for like a week or something like that, which a lot of people only have time to go for a week. But fortunately, I had more time. So I went for a month and uh, on other trips a bit more than that. And that was important and helpful for me because you can't expect to just jump into the milonga scene in Buenos Aires and have everyone sort of embrace you and Mm -hmm want to dance with you and be your friend and all, all that stuff. Like I, and I never really had any expectations like that, mm-hmm. but there's always a hope. Anybody right. going to Argentina is hoping for this sort of magical experience and some people get it and some people don't. Mm-hmm. And I, I find, especially being, you know, I'm of Indian heritage. It's a little weird to be someone of Indian heritage, especially back then. Okay appearing at the milongas there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh you have to kind of prove yourself i see you have to show that you can dance you have to show that you're willing to play by the rules that you're not going to get perturbed by all the sort of little games that happen at the milongas Mm -hmm. and whatnot Mm -hmm. so once but once you show that i feel like people really respond well to that they say oh this is this is someone who understands the whole of tango, not just like, you know, there to like do a few steps on the floor, but the whole experience, you know, you, you come to the milonga, you have a table, you sit, you talk, you drink, you eat, you cabaseo people like the, the whole social experience was, was really lovely. So, but that took some time. Yeah. It didn't happen immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one thing, give yourself enough time, I think. And I would say also to set expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, I think things in Argentina have changed quite a bit since I first started going. And I've heard this from people older than me, too, that Argentina had changed even before then. You know, and of course, it's always changing. Mm-hmm. It's always changing. And as someone who's a little bit older, and I'm more nostalgic about what it was like in the old days, just like everyone is. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with change. I mean, I, I will have a good experience when I set my expectations appropriately. And so each time I've gone over, I think I've gone over like the last 16 years, I think I've gone maybe six times. Nice. And uh, each time is different and the place is changing. And the, of course, Tango has become much more of a business, I find, in the last period that I've, I've sort of gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that's not ideal, but there's still pockets of, authenticity i hate to use that word but Mm -hmm. what it felt like to me before i mean when i'm there i'm on vacation right Right. (laughs) people should forget that you're taking a vacation right you're going there to you're going there to learn tango and do tango all that but but still it's not like you're going to going to work in the morning every day so enjoy that part too you know there's great things to see and just enjoy the city because it's, it's quite vibrant yeah, so in all your years of, of teaching, Abik, what are some things you've learned from your own students? Oh, wow. It's just like so many things. Because mm-hmm. as I was saying before, every time I teach, I'm trying to keep the student's perspective in mind. I'm trying to mm-hmm. remember what it was like to do this step for the first time. And I'm also trying to think about the mistakes that I can hopefully get new people in tango to avoid so that they can have a quicker growth path than I did. Um, things I've learned from them. I mean, you know, right now I, you know, I teach privates and almost every class, somebody puts me in a situation where I have to like think about mm-hmm. my preconceived notions about tango. 
And every question people ask, if, I, if I'm open-minded enough to listen, I learn something from them, whether it's about a technical movement or it's something more philosophical about tango. Or sometimes I learn about teaching. You know, I, I've taught, as I said before, I taught a lot of things. Yeah, yeah. But tango is the thing I've taught for the longest, and which is really interesting to me. <laughs> Again, because it's so unexpected. And I've, as a result, I've learned a lot about what it means to stand in front of a classroom and try to convey something that is really an oral tradition, right? There's very few written... I would say any, there aren't any real written books on how to do Argentine tango. And therefore, we as teachers are participating in an oral tradition. And another thing working with a lot of students has taught me is that people are different. Their bodies are different. And they're made differently. And their intentions are different. Their personalities are different. What they want out of the dance is different. And therefore, you really have to tailor the lessons to them. And I find, you know, I, I teach mostly privates now, and I find that's an excellent place to to do that because you can really tailor the dance to the individual based on what they are teaching me yeah. you know, about themselves and their intentions. Nice. Yeah. So, Avik, how do you keep challenging yourself? Oh, it's no problem. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's e- it's easy to challenge yourself. There's so many great dancers out there. I'll never be them. And but they'll they'll always keep me pushing for something more. Mm-hmm. I can't say this about anything else in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not worried about tango getting boring. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. Like there's going to be something interesting for the rest of my life. I'm sure. Yeah, there's this always something, always something new to discover with this dance. Yeah, yeah. and and it's not always just technical, right? I mean, it, mm-hmm. it can be something more philosophical. It could, you know, I, I just jump from one thing to another in tango. Uh, whether, like, I played bandonion for a while. Nice. Uh, I learned Spanish for a while. Not well, but for a while. <laughs> I practiced different kinds of styles of dancing. I got into clothes and fashion kinds of things. Also something I wouldn't do. It, it, it's it's endless. Yeah. It's, it's just a wonderful experience. Yeah. So what's something new that you've learned or discovered recently that was tango-related? Well, I, I've... Uh, <laughs> that's funny well the, technically mm-hmm. so, some of the things that i'm doing in my dance now are a little bit different than i did just a year or two ago um because i'm thinking about the back of my body instead of the front of my body for oh. example mm-hmm. i'm thinking about i mean we always think about posture but like there are subtleties in that posture that can make some difference uh, like the exact position of my hip and certain kinds of movements. I mean, these are, these are things in my own dancing that, you know, I'm, it's a constant discovery Mm -hmm. when you're aware of your body, when Mm -hmm. tango forces you to be aware of your body, Mm -hmm. you, you can just keep on learning. And so I'm, you know, that, that, that process never ends either. Mm -hmm. All right. What are some future projects you're working on? Oh, well, I rarely have anything sort of fixed at the moment. Mm -hmm nothing's uh, coming up. Uh, I mean, of course, I'm DJing and teaching. and that That's going to continue. Mm-hmm. I did just complete a project, mm-hmm. so maybe that's why I don't have a, a new one yeah, yeah. Uh, on mind. And that was this special thing we do here at the Ann Arbor Tango Marathon, mm-hmm. uh, which is to do a milonga where there's an hour of silence. I mean, oh. there's music playing, but people are silent. They're, they don't talk. And I've always 
thought that, you know, all the codes we have in the milongas, like cabaseos and rondas and tandas and all that stuff, those things are are meant to elevate our communal experience of tango, of course, but they're not arbitrary and they're not fixed. You know, they they were probably the product of trial and error, mm-hmm. right? Nobody set down some rules right. and said, this is how it's going to be. It's like people tried different things and, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what turned out to be the most useful way to do things. And I think it is, it's a great way to, to run a milonga and be at a milonga. But that said, it's uh 2018 and we can experiment a little bit right, right. Yeah, yeah and uh so the idea was okay well why don't we try it just for an hour see what happens what is the experience like <laughs> when people don't have to talk mm-hmm. or are forced <laughs> yeah. don't have to or, or don't talk rather mm-hmm. and so we did that and uh we did that so this is the second year that we've done that okay and so the project for this year was not just silence but also to instead of uh, just playing regular cortinas, uh, we arranged performances, tiny little performances, not tango performances, just like other artistic performances during the cortinas that lasted like 60 seconds, just super brief, but were meant to sort of break up the tandas, obviously, but also Mm -hmm. to inspire. And so, so that that's kind of what I what I was working on for the last five months or so, just thinking about what that's like. Mm-hmm. You know, as a DJ, what I'm often doing is crafting a sequence of events and music that will shape someone's experience over an evening. Mm-hmm. And so, I so I was thinking about, well, what can I do to craft someone's experience? Mm-hmm. You know, using this modality mm-hmm. instead of just the the typical milonga codes that we use so it turned out i i, I was very happy with how it turned out mm-hmm. and uh and i think that I've, i heard comments from several people who also enjoyed it i imagine there are probably some people who didn't but <laughs> you know that that's the that's what you have to do when you experiment you have mm-hmm. to you have to take some risks and so that that was the project that i did last so next i don't know because i just finished that literally yes. last weekend <laughs> okay yeah, hour of silence. I'd imagine that would actually kind of help you focus a little more. Exactly, that was the idea that mm-hmm. people would really focus on the music and the partners and kind of have a deeper connection with one another mm-hmm. and to kind of feel something different than they normally do, and that's that's the goal. Uh-huh. Especially for some some of the folks who have been dancing a long time, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's nice to try something new for for someone who just started tango. Perhaps the experience is. Well, it's still novel and unique, but it's mm-hmm. not as meaningful mm-hmm. as to someone who has been doing tango a long time, and this is sort of a breath of fresh air. Yeah. All right, Avik, this has been a lot of fun. So uh, where do we find out more about you online? Probably the websites of festivals and, and mm-hmm. whatnot. I mean, I'm on Facebook like every other tango person. I'm not – I'm pretty terrible at advertising myself, to be honest, Uh I do have a website, but uh, it's not it's not super up to date. But it's a2tango.com. Okay. A, the number two, which is Ann Arbor, the way we colloquially call Ann Arbor, a2tango.com. Okay. Great. So I'll have that in our show notes so people can read up about you and learn more about who you are. Great. Okay. All right, Avik, thank you again so much for taking the time. I know you were extremely busy, but it's it's great that I got to talk to you for a little while, and I think the audience will really appreciate your thoughts. I look forward to hearing it.
Okay, another good conversation. And again, it's so interesting to hear about how all these tango instructors and DJs began their journeys. And the key word here is journey. It's a word I've used a lot on this podcast, and you'll probably hear it again. What stuck out to me during this conversation was Avik's recollections on learning. So Avik sees himself as a perpetual student, and that's a mindset we can all benefit from. And you get as much out of tango learning from teachers as you do from trying to figure things out with your peers. And that's because everyone you work with is still in the process of moving their own tango forward. As good as many of our teachers are at giving verbal instructions, you won't really get tango until you develop a feel for it because it's often difficult to verbalize the things that are supposed to happen physically. Another thing that stuck out to me is Avig's overall attitude of constantly improving, that there's always something new to learn and the dance will never become boring. There are many great dancers to look up to and we shouldn't try to be them because that's frustrating and will lead to all sorts of insecurity and negativity. Instead, like Avik, we should be inspired and motivated by those dancers and to let that motivation bring out the best of who we are on the dance floor. So thank you again, Avik, for your time and for your thoughts. And thanks to all you listeners for tuning in. I really appreciate your support. And if you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, feel free to send an email to wisconsintango at gmail.com. Again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a second to visit iTunes, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting platform you're using. Subscribe if you haven't already, and leave a five-star rating. That helps out a lot. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.